Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Before I tell you a little bit about today's interview, for the first time in just over 150 episodes, this particular episode is going to be rated explicit due to its intense content. I recommend, especially if you're at an office or in the presence of children, please wear headphones or listen to this particular episode later. It is so important for all of us to hear, but there is going to be talk of child exploitation and human trafficking and modern slavery. So I wanted to give you that warning right at the top, as I know some of you listen to this you know, in an open office or with your kids in the car, and usually that is just fine. But today, I thought we should start off with a little bit of a warning. So getting into today's episode, as fraud fighters, we are acutely aware of the financial costs of online fraud. Whether it's the total amount or the percentage of revenue for your company or your financial institution, that's a metric you probably know and think about often. But one cost of fraud that has been rising at a significant rate over the last few years that we don't talk about very much and that I thought was important to talk about now is the human cost of fraud. Especially over the last 12 to 18 months, I've become more aware of some of the cruel realities of the human impact that financial fraud can cause. Just as recently as a week and a half ago, we learned that the reason why one of the largest fraud organizations that we've seen target online retailers has been able to scale is due to human trafficking and modern slavery. Shoshana Marini and I talked about that quite a bit on last week's two episodes. If I know a lot of people listen to those, but if you didn't, I highly recommend listening to that either before or after this episode. I really think these three episodes in a row really go together and in a sad way, compliment each other. <laughs> so these hard truths were first revealed when tied to consumer targeting scams and calls. ProPublica did a really good article about it, and there was another independent research study that I attached a link to in the show notes of the most recent episode with Shoshana, but I will try to also attach that in this one as well if you want to read more about this specifically. And sadly, due to their successes and pure profits for the leaders of these organizations, these modern slavery organizations are expanding. They're teaching humans who are being exploited and usually vulnerable people in very poor countries that are looking for a new opportunity. They're teaching them to, well, they're, they're tricking them into working for them and then training them to commit specific types of fraud. It is so sad. And another cost of online fraud is child exploitation. 
Fraud fighters and members of trust and safety content moderation teams, especially for the online platforms with user-generated content, know this all too well. Even if you don't work for a social media company, I know some marketplaces that because they have user-generated content or because their websites allow users to post real-time reviews, they will have to be on the lookout for you know, child endangerment photos and other things like that. But have you ever thought about how these those profiting from child exploitation online could be identified at a bank just utilizing data analytics and traditional fraud fighting skills and tools? I hadn't before I got to know Ian Mitchell at the mobile. It's because of these human costs of fraud and other collateral crimes and impacts that I asked Ian Mitchell, co-founder of the Noble, which is a nonprofit focused on bringing fraud fighters together to identify, stop, and prevent the human costs of fraud. I asked Ian to return to fraudology. In a previous episode, Ian talked about his story as a fraud fighter and what led him to found the Noble, and as well as his consultancy company, Omega Fin Crime. Today, Ian brought with him an equally impressive person and fraud fighter who is integral in the global fight against financial fraud and now is in a leadership position at the Noble. He brought Terry Shepard. Terry spent over 22 years at Bank of America in several roles, all really focused on different areas of fraud within the company. He ended his time there as the top executive of fraud and claims. He then moved on to Fifth Third Bank, where he crossed paths with Ian, and he was also an exe- a top executive of Enterprise Fraud and Investigations there. As you'll hear in their interview, both men have a strong passion and huge hearts to use fraud prevention skills and tools to identify and stop those profiting off of vulnerable humans from he- victims of child exploitation to victims of human trafficking and modern slavery. These are hard subjects to talk about, but as I've learned more about how closely these problems are connected to online and financial fraud, the importance of spreading this information along with the mission of Ian, Terry, and all the others working with the Noble has become undeniable. So with that, here is my enlightening conversation with Ian Mitchell and Terry Shepard. I hope that you enjoy it. Well, today I am so grateful to be joined by Ian Mitchell and Terry Shepard, both from The Noble. Ian, you were here six months ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. And our conversation was one of my listeners' favorites. And I really wanted to check in with The Noble and see what you're up to and also talk about some newer developments that have come to light in the press and other things. So welcome to both of you first. Hey, Carice. Thanks for having us on again. I, I love this. And hello to all your listeners. Thrilled to be back here and to just be sharing on this awesome platform you've built. So you and Lucas and the team have done a great job. And just again, just thanks for letting us be on. And I'm thrilled to be joined here by my former boss, Terry Shepard, who's on here too. So just this will be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. For, like Ian said, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Terry, on that note, other than being Ian's former boss, can you share a little bit with 
my listeners a little bit about your extensive background and what your role is with the Noble. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I spent about 35 years in banking, half of that in the accounting finance world, most of it with Bank of America. And then the last half of it has really been in, it's really in the fraud, financial risk space. And that's how I got to know Ian. I spent about 15 years at Bank of America managing fraud disputes and all the different functions that related to that. I enjoyed it so much that I retired for a little while, went back, joined it again. And that's where I met Ian at, at Fifth Third Bank and spent a few years with him. And then I retired retired for good and except Ian got a hold of me and Ian said, Hey, why don't you join us? And he was talking about the noble and its mission. And I started to think mom would like it if I did something like this, do something, <laughs> do something good with my life. So, and you know, it, and it's such a great cause and there's such a, a lot of resources out there in, in all the you know, fraud and anti-money laundering space within financial institutions around the world. And if we align, and there's a lot of really good people as well, let me mm -hmm. say that, some excellent people managing these functions and working in these functions and all the investigators and fraud analysts, and they listen to all these stories and they really get to understand firsthand what the customers are experiencing. You know, when it comes to fraud, scams, they can see all the different types of what we call at the noble human crime. And so yeah. I said, yeah, let me jump in. Let me jump in. And, and really what I do is I help guide which projects we work on along with our steering committees and our board. I actually personally have been engaged in one project called Project Umbra, which we had a press release on about a month ago related to online child sexual exploitation. And so I, I've been managing that, but really try to use all of my contacts in the financial industry to bring the right resources to bear as we drive out these projects and try to create not only just a awareness capability, you know, as we'd say at the Noble, awakening to what we can find mm -hmm. if we're using the people and tools and technology that's available. You know, leveraging law enforcement, financial institutions, regulators, you know, service providers to financial institutions. And how can we get everybody aligned across those different silos and, and really align at some of these things that we see in our associates see every day. And it's very rewarding when you start to see some of those results. So that's a little bit about my background and what I'm doing with the Noble today. And if I could add a couple of things, Carice, just about Terry, a couple of things. One, Terry's been known for being a tenacious fraud fighter in his career, both B of A. And I got to experience that firsthand at Fifth Third. And he's taken those same skills. And honestly, I'll tell you, he single-handedly drove, prioritized, and honestly, that Project Umbra, which we'll talk about, the child exploitation project, mm -hmm. that is clearly because of just his tenacious bulldog-like approach saying, not on my watch, we're not going to do this. And the, and the second thing, little known fact is, you know, this concept of human crime, we, we were all, you know, it's funny when we were talk about what we'd be focusing on being human trafficking, child exploitation, scams, and elder abuse, we would go down and every staff meeting, we'd be going and using those words and it would be very long, human trafficking, child exploitation, scams, and elder abuse. And we we're like, we got to come up with a shorter phrase for this. And it was Mr. Yeah. Shepard that said, why don't we call it what it is, you guys? Let's call it human crime. So, so we kind of, we have a little trademark pending on that one, but that is thanks to Mr. Shepard too. So not only is he a fraud fighter, but he's a little creative too, which, you know, of course I like being the artist that I am. So anyway, big thanks for Terry for being on here. 
Thank you. Well, yeah. And I think it it really, Terry, I was thinking about it and just hearing how you tried to retire a couple times and came back similar to when Ian shared his story about trying to get away from fraud and then getting pulled back, but with more of a purpose the second time around. It reminded me of the other day I said something about, you know, if I win the lottery, I could retire or something. And I was talking to a good friend of mine who is also a fraud fighter. And she said, who are you kidding? You would not <laughs> stop working on fraud. You just might, you know, take different projects or something. But like, no, you would still volunteer your time for it. And I'm like, oh, you're right. And I think it's as silly as it might sound, it feels for a lot of us in fraud. And I think the majority of people who listen to my podcast on their off hours or when they're running and practicing for a marathon or anything else they're doing while they're listening, it's more than a career. It's a calling. And it's not to be cheesy about it, but I mean, I think especially when we're talking about what you guys are working on at The Noble, that couldn't be more true. So Ian, on that note, I mean, I've just been so blown away by everything that you and your team have worked on. And I would love for you to share a little bit of an update on what has been happening since you were last here on Fraudology, what you've accomplished, and what other initiatives you've started since then. So if you could share a little bit of an update, and Terry, please feel free to jump in as well. Yeah, so I think, Carice, the thing that gets me most excited about all the stuff I could talk about is, you know, as I think we have almost 2,000 human crime fighters engaged or just active this year. But I think the number that really blows me away, and as I state that word active, I want to say we have over 500 actually engaged and active individuals on all of our projects this year, which I just think is is tremendous. Again, our goal is, is not to build a nonprofit here. Our goal is to take the best of the best financial crime, fraud, money laundering, cyber professionals, and get them concerned about human crime and the vulnerable person at the other end of all the transactions in their day jobs. And I couldn't be more excited as we're sitting here, I'm, as, as I'm sitting here talking, I'm looking for the most recent number. We just hit over 500 active people involved. And and that just is unbelievable. And, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, every other week on Thursday evenings, I do an orientation for anybody who signed up in the last two weeks. And it's an orientation to hear kind of some of the story that I shared with your listeners six months ago and just kind of go into how to interact with the noble. And the part I love the best is the last 15 or so minutes, we hear from the people coming in. And I hear stories where, you know, I've heard a story of a person who actually was a survivor of human trafficking that now fights fraud and financial crime at a bank. I've heard stories about parents that saying, I don't want to you know, child exploitation is not happening when I'm, when I'm here, right? I've heard stories about people just getting burned out like, you know, we've talked about in the past. To me, that just is so amazing when I get a chance to just hear the stories of why people are getting involved. And, and that's really how we're going to make the difference. Now, what have we been doing as a team? It has been unbelievable. I, first, I'd love to report is we're in a situation now where we just hired a new executive director for The Noble. His name's Dave Warland. I'm so excited to bring Dave on because, you know, one of the things, um, I'm not going anywhere as a founder and a board chair, but one of the things that, that really running a nonprofit really is unique. It's specific and, and requires a lot of certain skills that that Dave just brings to the table. Having done this for, for many, many years, I'm thrilled that that's kind of big news on our world that I think is just going to continue to our impact. But as we've gone, you know, we've had, I don't remember, six months ago, I think we probably hadn't kicked off our scams roundtable at this point. We've had quite a few of those. We've had almost 100 people join us on a regular basis to actually talk and share about these different scam problems that are going on with law enforcement. This last time we hired highlighted Jeff Crawford from Citibank, who has put in a new division around fighting scams in particular. It's powerful stuff. 
So Carice, we talked about the Scams Roundtable, but we launched a Scams Roundtable earlier this year. And I think we almost have almost a hundred people during every roundtable. We actually stay around. I mean, the first one, I think people stayed around for a half an hour, 45 minutes over that roundtable. And we have them every other month. It's sponsored by Early Warning. And honestly, we are sharing and talking about the different scams that are attacking the industry and plaguing the industry right now. What a thrilling conversation we're having. We're continuing the Human Trafficking Roundtable series. And then we launched a bunch of really cool projects, one with Walmart around gift cards. We have a project with MasterCard around general human trafficking and and how find it, how basic card companies can get involved. We have a couple projects around survivors of human trafficking. MNT Banks, you know, launched a project where basically they're doing one on scam victims. There's just there's so many great things that the network has come together to support. But one in particular that I'm, you know, this is a little bit of the conversation we had pre is one of the projects I'm excited about is is a conversation or a project around why banks should care. And I think that's something that we all struggle with individually as, as financial crime and fraud fighters and human crime fighters, we can get motivated. It's free to join the noble individually, but a lot of times it's hard to get your organization to really start helping think through the problem differently. And, and so this whole project sponsored by Lexus, it's a real cool bunch that have been brought together to think about how can we have a conversation with C-suite executives to convince them that maybe we should be looking at this human crime problem a little differently and the return on investment maybe isn't as measurable, or maybe we need to think about that differently than we have in the past. I, I got to tell you, I mean, it's been a wonderful set of projects, set of second half of the year. Couldn't be more thrilled about it. Again, I go back to just the number of engaged people over 500 on projects, on roundtables. I mean, that's end of the day why we do what we do. So so, so absolutely thrilled. I think the, the number of escalations we have through the year is 79 total escalated cases to law enforcement of things that maybe these, these groups of people wouldn't have found before. Again, we're looking at areas that, that maybe banks don't traditionally look at. So that's a good metric in itself, but I can't wait to really talk about Project Umbra because I think that's just been the highlight of the year. And I know Terry's going to talk about that shortly. That, that truly is the model of the kind of impact we want to have going forward as a network, but uh, it's been, it's been a great year and it, and it continues to just be going into the next year. So why don't we dive on into that? You know, we have all intentions of of giving kind of a pre-warning in the intro prior to this part being on for the podcast, just because I know some people listen to this, you know, with their kids in the car and all of that. And I really appreciate that and hope that we're help create some aware youngsters online. But this is not one of those conversations that should be played in the car with children. And it's hard for me as a parent and as an empath. However, I would really appreciate backing up just a little bit more. One of the reasons I recently reached out to you, Ian, was because of an article in ProPublica that was sent to me a few weeks ago. And it really shook me to my core. And I don't say that lightly. The basic premise of this investigative journalism was that human trafficking is no longer only associated with the sex trade, as I think a lot of us assume. And instead, it has a fraud and scam component. And I know in addition to that, there's also this child exploitation and everything else. So, you know, maybe to start, Terry, I'd love for you to share you know, more about Project Umbra, what it is and what you've been spearheading and how and why it's been successful. Yeah, Project Umbra, I guess it's, it was about 18 months ago now. And in 18 months may seem like a long time, but it's not a long time when you think about the number of people that we had engaged 
and the level of the level of hurdles that we had to go through in order to do something like this. So if you think about it, what the Noble is, we're a network of professionals, whether that's law enforcement service providers to financial institutions, regulators, or the folks in the financial institutions. And all of those folks were engaged with what Project Umber was. If you don't know what Umber is, it's really, it's the dark part of a shadow. They, they talk about it in celestial terms, but it's really the dark part of a shadow. And it was a takeoff of Project Shadow in Canada, they had a joint partnership between the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, FinTrack, as well as the banks in Canada to identify online child sexual exploitation. And so we took the good work that they did and working with the folks from Scotiabank, Scotiabank was one of our sponsors of this work. We got some banks in the United States, joined the effort. And if you think about it, that's not an easy thing to do with everything everybody has on their plate already. And so we had M&T, Fifth Third, and U.S. Bank as, and a couple of other banks. FinTrack from Canada, they joined in Homeland Security. They were part of our team. Team. And so we had all these constituents at the table. And what we were looking for, is there a way to identify sexual exploitation of children by working with banks and working with understanding the topologies and things that the perpetrators were doing and different patterns that you would see? And so with what they learned out of Canada and what we actually, to be honest, what we all learned together over a year and a half, that none of us were experts in this field. I don't know if there is an expert in this field. I've talked to a lot of folks. But as we learned through this process, what we wanted to do is see it first, can you find it, you know, working together with fraud tools, AML tools, can you find online child sexual exploitation? And then in order to do that, you have to know what you're looking for. And so we all learned. And then as we learned, we said, oh, we need to educate our investigators. We need to let them know what we're looking for. So if we identify potential cases, what should they even be looking for? How do they look at it? So we had a couple of training sessions for the investigators, and then we continued to refine what it is that that we were looking for, what the financial institutions were looking for. And as we did that, and as we fine-tuned it, we could actually start to identify cases of potential online child sexual exploitation with a very reasonable false positive ratio of less than two to one. And so it's not like we were looking for a needle in a haystack once it got to the investigator. We continued to refine what we were looking for how to look for it, and then continue to train and give investigators tips on what they should be looking for in order to identify potential cases and refer these cases to law enforcement. And what we were able to do is with the financial institutions that actually participated, we, we actually increased the number of cases they sent to law enforcement related to online sexual exploitation of children by 6X. You know, we looked at the period wow. for this 12 months prior and the 12 months that we were doing this, and it was a 6X increase. And everyone at the table, when we came to the, knocked on the door, said, no, we don't have that here, right? And everyone, yeah. all of us, as we learned together, were amazed, were sickened, were energized by what we were seeing, and we wanted to tell others and get others engaged because it's happening. The one thing that, as I got into this, I thought, oh, this is something that happens in the other side of the world, the Philippines or yeah. the Ukraine or something like that. This is happening in our neighborhoods. This is happening all around us. 
it's happening to your children. And you really need, as parents, need to be very aware. But as financial institutions and with all these tools, you just need to be joining in on the fight to help stop this. Because this is happening in this very online world. And if you think about it, I think it's close to 75% of all online sexual exploitation of children material is actually hosted in the U.S. It's not in the other parts of the world. And it's not just children from other parts of the world, although, although that is a part of it as well. This is our children getting caught. In fact, and I'll stop here, but with, with the short story, one of the ladies on the project with one of the, the major FIs that I mentioned earlier, one of her kids were in school and one of their classmates were kicked out of school and mm. they kicked them out of school because they got connected in one of these groups exploiting them. And they were kicked out of the school because they said the parents weren't fit because they didn't know that this was happening. And Ugh. the person would not have known what was happening and how easy these traps are to get caught in, except she worked on this project. And so we actually, she actually wow. went and talked to folks, but I'm just saying, and I don't want to get into too many of the specific details. We can take that right. offline with others, but it, it's all around us and we can identify it. We have a process that is scalable, leverageable, and now we're in the phase of getting ready to ramp up phase two, which is the expansion of this across a larger portion of FIs. And we're continuing to work with law enforcement, specifically Homeland Security, so we can get better at identifying these cases, you know, as FIs, I say we as FIs, and they can help us if things help refine the process as well other is you know looking for other things that we should be looking for so very impactful not only by the number of cases but the impact that this project had personally on everybody that was involved with it and I think we have almost over 40 institutions already signed up for phase two of this. So you think about the impact that those five institutions had six times the cases referral, and you look at 40 and I will tell you there, there's a mix between the largest FIs in North America to very small ones. And I would tell you just, it's, it's amazing to me, the response that we've heard. And then on not just FIs though, it's also processors come out and said they want to support it. Organizations like, you know, Actimize and financial, financial services organizations with technologies have come in and said, let's do something together. So it's very exciting just realizing that we as behind computers all day can have very real impact on human beings. And the most vulnerable of these are our children. So it's, that's the exciting part of what we've done here. Really, really groundbreaking for us, just like the Super Bowl project was on getting yeah. small things, making actionable kind of action. Umbra really was the catalyst of, the, of that for us. And it'll continue to be a, a model of how we operate going forward. Virology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. 
But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. It's mind-boggling to me that you've found a way. I mean, it's impressive and I guess not too surprising when we as front fighters know how much information is available to us, either internal information within an organization or because of solution providers, et cetera, but that you were able to identify these things just based on the finances and the financial information. Because I work with so many e-commerce companies that are actually seeing this happen on their, on their platforms whether it's social media companies or web hosting or even marketplaces for clothing have had to take down things because of child exploitation that they've seen, whether it's trafficking or pictures or other things posted on their on their marketplaces for clothing for sale, for instance. So, Chris, as you think about that, you know, what you were yeah. just talking about is we talk to a lot of folks, right? And it's not just financial institutions, but as your listeners think about what they hear, and whether yeah. they're in, you know, in the gaming business, whether they're in mm -hmm. clothing or wherever they sit, if they think through, okay, if I can combine this with what FIC, if I can combine this. Yes. And so as you think, as we think about the broader environment of data and how you connect things, that that's really the way we need to be thinking about it. And how, you, how do you do it in, a, in an efficient and effective way? Mm -hmm. I agree. And that is exactly why it's been so important to me to have Ian come on when he can and, and you as well, Terry, because I do think that there are so many people who fight fraud who want to do more. Right. And sometimes it feels like it's just a drop in the bucket or we're just playing whack-a-mole. And to hear that you have had success in identifying just these human crimes as a result of people who are, you know, usually focused on the financial side, but who are able to help get some of these, you know, just criminal horror. I don't know. I struggle to find the right words. I want to say horrible people, but I know hurt people hurt people, obviously, but just, you know, all this stuff off yeah. of it. Yeah. It's, it's a sickness. It's, it's the people yeah. are, they're not well, they're sick. That's what we ended up coming to is, you know, when mm -hmm. we had the profile, you know, we had a lady come in and talk about the profiles of the people that wow. do this. And that's, I didn't come up with that on my own. That's right. just a term, right? So when you're looking at the profiles of, I mean, for lack of a better term, like of from the financial side, are you looking at it? I mean, are these individuals who are being identified as people involved in the child exploitation of children online, are they also committing financial fraud or you are using the tools from financial fraud to identify them because of patterns in behavior? It's really more of the latter. It's we're using the hmm. tools in both what I would call 
the broad suite of financial crime, which includes anti-money, you know, the AML space, as well as the fraud space. It's the combination of those tools. And so it's Hmm. not that fraud activity, you know, leads you to this. It's more of leveraging of the tools and using the knowledge that, that we've been able to pull together, working with folks to do that. If I could add something, Carissa, I, I had a really yeah. interesting meeting last week. I was in DC and I met with a gentleman who was on Terry's project. He, he leads a big part of the child exploitation unit in Homeland Security. And, and he really educated mm-hmm. me about the difference between, you know, the human trafficking motivation behind human trafficking and child exploitation is different. And it's hmm. interesting, the fi- human trafficking is financially driven. Former Ambassador Richmond of human trafficking from the US, Ambassador Richmond, he always said it was financially motivated. Other leaders that have been around, it's also financially motivated. Child exploitation, mm. interesting. This person, Homeland Security, was saying the equity, the the way they build status is actually having, for like, sounds terrible, but the most, the newest picture of exploited children, the most graphic, <laughs> the most, yeah. the, the, the collateral, I'm, there's a word I'm looking for, the value that they bring is the mo- is the new picture, the new content. And so it's interesting. Yes, financials are a part of this because they do have to operate in signing up for some of these mm. platforms for equipment. They do have to, they do have, there's a financial transaction that happens in this that we need to make sure as financial institutions we are aware of and we understand what's going on clearly what Terry talked about. I mean, there, there's patterns of evidence of the way that they're moving these, this content around, but the motivation is, he even said also, it's a sickness and their status gets raised with the newest and worst content. So that's the heartbreaking part of this and mm-hmm. how a lot of this really differs from the trafficking motivation. At least that's what I was learning last week while I was in DC. That's really helpful. It makes sense. Yeah. Go well, ahead, Terry. I was just going to say yeah. there's multiple motives in here. It's not black and white. It's which way leans more this way or that way. And child sexual exploitation, it's both a sickness, plus there's also a profit motive in some cases. So it's a mix and that Mm. mix shifts when you get to human trafficking. And I'm not going to say that I'm an expert in any way, but it's a lot of, it's a very financially motivated. I would, there's other component of it as well. So it's a mix. And so you can't, it's not black and white and you just have to be aware of that as you get into it. And then we have to start splitting things out to understand what we're looking at. Our friend, Matt Friedman, who is the CEO of the Mekong Club, he's, he's mm. the gentleman I met for the cup of coffee that just opened my eyes for those yes. that heard the story from before. You know, I was in DC with Matt Friedman last week and it's interesting in his presentation, he talks about, I think the numbers, we're only rescuing or detecting 0.2% of all people that are in, I think that's the metric oh. that he always says. I mean, that the number is so small and I don't say I just think about it, you know, the old saying is we don't know what we don't know. And so while we are mm-hmm. detecting this many child exploitations or this many human trafficking, a question, if we're only looking at that percentage of the population, if we're only saving or we have that much data, then we just know this as we build regression models. That's not a lot of data to build a model off of. And so we don't know, we don't know when it comes to the motives behind all the child sexual exploitation or the organized rings that may be behind that or human trafficking. But I think that's what's important about this community coming together and saying, I want to be involved because I think as you join projects like Umbra, I know IGM's got a project and NCFTA is another great organization and Polaris. And there's a lot of wonderful, and Thorn, there's a lot of great organizations, as you start looking for things, I think we're going to be a lot better educated as an industry on truly how, you know, what's behind this, how is this being funded? How is it being monetized? How is it being all these answers? I think are going to come out as we all start working together and especially across between financial services and the merchant space. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Terry mentioned that a lot of opportunity for us to work together on this and a lot of good reason to also. Well, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, obviously that's why I've wanted to have you on this platform because I do know that there are a lot of 
of front fighters and other people, trust and safety and others that are bumping up against some of these things. And they don't know what to do. And I think in a lot of cases, at least in the past, when I worked for a large online travel company, we would see evidence of, of human trafficking in some of the things that we would come up against from a fraud perspective. And at least putting myself back in my shoes then, it was kind of like, well, that's not my job. That's my not my directive from my company. It's just to save them from chargebacks. Or I don't know how to do it. Or, well, is that maybe some that's somebody else's job, right? But I think that as something I've really learned from speaking with you, Ian, and just understanding more about The Noble is that there's an author that I really adore who often says there's no such thing as other people's children. And to me, I think there's no such thing as other people's problems, right? Like if everyone in the world is just thinking, well, somebody else is going to do it, that's why only 0.2% of victims are, are being rescued, right? So I really applaud both of you for shining a spotlight on this and showing financial institutions as well as, you know, merchants and marketplaces that things that can be done and by working with you all, by networking, by talking. And I know that it's not easy. I know Terry's had to do a lot of work on going through all all of the processes to work with these networks and these FIs and everything else. But wow, I mean, I just can't even, it's really interesting, right? Because I think, you know, when you were here last, it was an amazing idea and it was an inspiring idea and it was starting to work. But now in hearing Terry talk, it's wow, it has worked. And now imagine what else can happen. And the exciting part is, I'll tell you, Carissa, like I want to, I want to bring up two topics. One, I want to give you this little kind of huh. anecdote to bring, get it just even more hope to kind of what you're talking about here. And then I want mm -hmm. to talk about this ProPublica article, which you mentioned up front, because yes. it's another opportunity for us all to dig in a little bit different, deeper. But I was in uh, DC last week. I was speaking and singing with my friend, Matt Friedman, at a gathering of fraud fighters, about 60 of them, if I had to guess. And I just got the report this morning, 33 people, 33 came in and said, you know, I want to be a part of something. And that, that's, I'm sure more walked away and maybe said, I don't want to be a part of the noble, but I want to do something about it. If we look at a 50% kind of rate of people saying, I want to get involved tomorrow, I'm speaking to a couple hundred. I think really that's honestly, it's not about, that's just my only metric of saying, hey, these people that we're speaking to that are in our day jobs of fighting fraud and money laundering, you all have a heart. Like that, that's what yes. I want to just encourage you all to say is you all, you have a heart. You don't need to be convinced on this. I mean, at a 50% success rate of just the groups I get to talk to, I'm so encouraged by one. One, you all want to get involved and you're saying not on my watch too. Just the fact that, like I said, all the active and engaged people we've had at the network, like it's up to us now as a community, and this includes the Noble, but as a community, as you, Carice, with your podcast and all the others to now give opportunity to express that heart in our day job and mm -hmm. things like Terry's talked about with Project Umbra. But, you know, I think really when, because we're talking to fraud fighters, you know, I think the child exploitation is a great example, but honestly, I think this article that came out from ProPublica and there's been several articles, Carice, you just sent me a new one today that did an unbelievable job yeah. of laying it out. But it's this whole crossover between human trafficking and scams. This whole notion of this term that's yeah. terrible to say, not as bad as child sexual exploitation, but pig butchering. It just sounds so inhumane, clearly, or what the right word is. But it <laughs> basically is leading, the analogy comes from leading pigs to the slaughter. And that's what basically this pig butchering scam preys on relationships, intimacy, romance, to lead people down the path of doing financial transactions with cryptocurrencies or other type of financial after building relationship with them. And we have a lonely planet coming out of the pandemic. And there's a mm. lot of lonely people that honestly are just finding the fraudsters are preying on that. And, and I'll make one more point about the pig butchering scam because, you know, scams are up across the board and all kinds of romance scams. But, but it's really interesting. What I was reading today was, you know, I don't know about
about you, but I've been getting so much text messages that just come in and say, hi, I don't know who they are. Yeah. All they say is hi, or how are you or whatever. I guess that's how the pig butchering a lot of times happens. You know, it starts yeah. with just an innocuous, you know, Facebook message that just says hi, a WhatsApp or whatever platform text message. And we have to be careful because it's not just dumb people that are falling for this. These are mm -hmm. very trained. What I was reading today is in manuals of scam 101 that they're training these scammers to do is crazy. But the heartbreaking part is what the ProPublica articles we talked about. And it's this crossover between yeah. scams and human trafficking. They found out of Cambodia and other areas of Asia, Southeast Asia, that actually um, very intelligent people, technology-related people, people that are skilled in technology and have degrees are looking for jobs and they're leaving their country for another country because they found a job posting and they're going and getting on an airplane. What's happening is when they land in this country like Cambodia, um, there's several other countries that, are, that they've identified as part of this. These bad actors will come and capture them and lock them into a house and force them to actually take part in scamming people. These aren't, you know, the people that are they're finding that are, are captured in this are trained people that want a real job and they're being forced. Mm -hmm. I watched a video today of a bunch of people escaping a house where they think that they were being trapped for this pitch pig butchering scam, human trafficking. Mm -hmm. They were being forced there and they were actually leaving the house, fleeing the house and getting away. The reality as a fraud fighter that there's an intersection between scams and human trafficking. I, I've spoken about this in the past when I knew that mule money that was leaving scams was being muled and sent overseas to finance the human trafficking. But now we're seeing right. that traffickers are actually using people by fraud, coercion, and force to actually commit the scams, which is just means that there's a mission for every fraud fighter here. No matter what way you look at this prism, there's something we can do about this, all of us that are sitting as fraud fighters. Yeah. Yeah. That's what got me about that article was, you know, this evolution of human trafficking and while the sex trade is still the oldest profession, as they say, and, and probably will continue to be, you know, will keep going. There are people that are trafficking people. It's basically modern slavery without using technology, but also just modern slavery and some of the physical and mental abuses that are happening to these people who, like you said, get on an airplane or, you know, hear from a friend, oh, there's better opportunity in this other country or in this other town. They end up being locked in these pretty bad conditions and being forced, was stated in the article I sent you today. And I'm going to be posting those in the links in the show notes of this episode. They're basically treating them in psychological warfare. And I think that there's so many things for us as fraud fighters to learn. I mean, one of them is I I think that we all have this mindset that the people who are committing scams, you know, whether it's through text messages or romance scams or others, which I think really romance scams and pig butchering are, are very similar, right? Especially with, with the crypto aspect. They aren't always doing it willingly either. They can also be victims. And I think that's kind of different than what a lot of us think in our heads. But also just that I think at the end of the day, all of this is telling us that financial crime is so profitable that people are stealing other humans and forcing them to work and commit financial crime. Financial crime is so profitable and prolific that all of these other crimes are happening because they're being funded by them or because they're, you know, 
creating them. It, it's just, it's kind of mind boggling. As I mentioned before, you know, we recorded, I think that, you know, a lot of us as fraud fighters are so focused on the finance piece. We don't always think about what's two steps before it or two steps after. And that's really what working with the Noble has, has certainly helped me understand. And I know a lot of other people that have worked with you as well. And even if people listening don't know how they can help, that's what you guys are for. And just to kind of right turn it a tiny bit, I recently joined the gift card project call and that is a little bit less difficult on my empathy, but I was really impressed with the organization and, and the way of taking people's strengths and interests to help the industry create some best practices and to create some maps of the type of gift card scams that are happening and, you know, surveys and things like that. So I think I would just add to what you were saying, Ian, that people do have big hearts and some people are like, I have too big of a heart and it can't work on the really hard stuff. But there's a lot of ways people don't need to know how they can help when they contact you. They can just know that they want to help, I guess that's, is my point. <laughs> that's what that's what our orientation is about, really. Just how do you plug in? And it can yeah. be involved to volunteer on an initiative or can just be to be a part of a roundtable and encourage your peers. You know, I want to make one last thing when we talk about, you know, yeah. what's happened. A point that the United Nations just came out not too long ago and said there are 50 million people caught in modern slavery today. I'd love that you introduced that term that we talked about. That's 50 yeah. million people. 75% of those people are actually in forced labor. So they are the ones that are putting our mining for our, our elements for batteries. They're the ones that are, you know, textiles. We talked about this last time. I think I talked to shared the story about my HVAC system, where we individually choose to spend our money. Look at you know, each of us are consumers and we can either help the problem or we can make it worse. And so I would just encourage everybody here that's on the phone or that's on this, on this podcast is a consumer first. And so mm. choose mm -hmm. where you put your money. That's the first thing I just encourage it. We don't have to be perfect, but start making some decisions and then just encourage the industry encourage your peers. If you're in a management position, train your team, just start having mm. this conversation. Cause I think that just does a lot because it's not necessarily about the noble and the projects we do. What the way we solve this is when all the banks and all the technology companies all have this is just one element of their comprehensive financial crime and fraud programs. That's the way we win. And so I think just start doing the littlest things as individuals and organizations, it's going to make a giant difference. And we'll take that if I'm right about that 2% or 0.2%, if we're going to take that and make that exponentially bigger as banks and financial institutions and merchants come together, it's, it's going to be very mm -hmm. exciting. I really am excited. And I mean, I know that you are working on a very big scale because you've made some introductions to me at the top of the top of law enforcement in the U.S. And I'm looking forward to having two of them on the podcast soon. As we are wrapping up and then it's challenging to have this conversation be so compact in one episode, but at the same time, you know, it's just so important. Are there things that you'd recommend socializing with leadership at a specific company? I mean, Terry, you mentioned that I think you mentioned or maybe I now I'm confusing it, but that working on why should banks care? And I would turn that into why should any organization with an online component care? I think that this is a challenge that fraud fighters have, even in getting their leadership to care about fraud in general, let alone the crimes that are happening on the platform, off the platform, because of the platform, et cetera. So how do you suggest socializing this with leadership or other pieces of a company? Or do you suggest maybe one person attending a roundtable and then coming back or how are you seeing that work in these large organizations that go from not knowing a lot about, about the noble to, wow, we really want to get involved? 
Yeah, Terry, maybe I'll take a first swing at this and then take a swing at it. I'll I'll add to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. We have to rethink of how we define return on investment. And I think one of the things that Terry and Mm -hmm. I got to walk out together at our last bank was there is an ROI for remediating customers, scam victims, and retaining them yeah. as customers. Because eventually it doesn't matter what their ages are, they're going to need a mortgage, they're going to need a car payment. So so there is an ROI there and, and try to get creative on the way that you measure success. I do think there's some of that. Yes. You know, so I think we need to rethink the metrics that we're solving for. I mean, of course, if things like scams, liability starts shifting and everything, that changes everything. But I think even before that, there's things we can do to rethink our metrics, to do right by society. I will tell you, just in the last two weeks, I've talked to two top five banks and maybe one top 20. One top five bank, I just mentioned Citibank, has set up, has set up a whole new scams, muling, and first-party fraud division that is going to focus on those. Another another top five bank just, just hired 20 people to work elder exploitation cases. And another top wow. 20 bank just set up a new scams and mule department. I would tell you these this is happening everywhere. And so I think the way I was asking them is how did they justify it to their leaders when they asked for the investment? And they said, yeah. taking care of the customer. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's anchor in the fact that this is the all of our customers are vulnerable, especially in the scams world. So take care of the customer. And then, and then lastly, when it comes to things like human trafficking and child exploitation, it starts individually. I will tell you, like, I think it starts individually, whether you're a senior executive or you're an investigator or a detection analyst, just getting involved as an individual. It's amazing the learnings you can then take back to your organization. So I just would encourage anybody and everyone, you don't need to be an executive role. You don't need to be in a management role. I think any and every level, whether you're on the phones as a customer service agent, or a detection analyst or a brand new investigator or a seasoned one, I think coming and getting involved with like-minded folks and learning together, I think it's amazing to me to see the kind of impact that you can have and bring back to, like you said, share with your institution as you kind of learn new things. So that's my initial thought. Terry, what do you think? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that, Ian, is in order to take care of customers, it starts with associates. And Project Umbra, and this is a quote, I'm going to read this. This is from Karen Arabal. She's the, an SVP, the head of financial crimes investigation at Fifth Third. Her quote is, Project Umbra has been both professionally and personally rewarding for me. It has given my team a renewed sense of purpose and satisfaction related to the work we perform each day. If you take care of your associates and allow them to feel that way, and they know you that they can take care of their customers, and then you start setting investing in these units. That's how the, the wildfire catches, because there is a shortage of very talented folks that want to take care of customers out there in the industry, and this is a way to attract them and keep them, and they will t- help take care of your customers. So think it, it all fits together. Well, yeah, and on that point, Terry, I mean, I just think about how it can be very discouraging. I was trying to find the right word. It can be very discouraging to kind of see some of these things, but not be able to do anything about them as an associate. And so giving them some autonomy to be able to work towards a higher purpose. And also to Ian's point, trust is such a currency. I don't remember the exact stats, but I just skimmed a survey this morning of consumers talking about fraud during the holiday season. And they said basically that they would abandon their shopping carts. So this is on e-commerce if they thought that it was fraudulent. And those surveys to me are a sign of the times. I mean, just like we're seeing banks and credit card companies say, hey, zero fraud liability. You know, like consumers, it's important to consumers. They're thinking about the fraud aspect. 
And if they don't feel like their financial institution or the companies that they choose to spend money with are also thinking about the fraud aspect and trying to keep them safe, they will choose to do business elsewhere. Like Ian said, right? They'll take their mortgage somewhere else. They'll you know, do business with the competitor, et cetera. So I think that that is really becoming one of those driving forces for consumers, as well as, you know, consumers are happy when associates are happy, right? So what both of you said are so true. And I hope that that's helpful because definitely I talk to a lot of fraud fighters as you guys do too. And sometimes it can be discouraging and feel like senior leadership doesn't care. But to both of your points, it's you know, helping them understand that there's so much more about life and the world than just the financial ROI. And if your company is involved in any of these processes, you know, you don't want that on your system. So it is so hard to say goodbye to you both because I just really want to talk to you all day. I am so humbled that you both, you know, spent your time today talking about this with me. And I have no doubt that my listeners will want to connect with you both. So Ian, do you want to kind of give your spiel on the best way to get involved in the Noble? And then I am happy to put any links in the show notes for people to navigate that as well. Yeah, I think the best way just to find out about the Noble is go to www.thenoble, K-N-O-B-L-E, the Noble with a K, thenoble.com. K stands for knights because what we believe is that it's all of you that really are going to be the ones that are in battle that are going to go and help stop this human crime fighter accomplish that mission. So go check out thenoble.com. The top right-hand corner, there's a join the fight button. Click on that. And if you do that, you'll get an invitation for orientation and you'll get a chance to spend more time with me and Terry and some of the other kind of folks folks on the team as we, you know, talk about how to get you all plugged in with each other and, and advance the fight. So check us out, thenoble.com, also LinkedIn, but uh, really uh, just appreciate everybody listening in on, just know that there's a lot you can do at your day job. Bring your heart to work. That's a good thing nowadays. Mm. So bring it to work and bring it to battle because we got a lot of people we need to save. Wow. Well, on that note, thank you both again so much. And you are welcome on Fraudology anytime. Thank you, Carice. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.